Today, as you have already heard in the worship service, is All Saints Day. And churches all around the world are celebrating All Saints Day today. But how often do you and I look in the mirror and say, Good morning, saint. More often for me, it's good morning, sinner. We who are called Christians are saints. And I would like that at every day when I go in the restroom to shave in the morning, I look at myself and I say, good morning, saint. But I very, very rarely do that. Often our sins and our past define us. Hence the title of today's message, Does Sin Define Me? This is one of the misconceptions about God that we've been exploring this fall in our message series with the same title. Maybe a sports illustration will help us frame it out. Even if you're not a sports fan, you've heard of the Dallas Cowboys. That's enough. (laughs) All right. This is no endorsement for the Cowboys uh, from an Eagles fan, uh, but it's a good story for the message. They are the most valuable franchise in the NFL. I don't know how many billions, but they're the most valuable. They've achieved a lot of success. Even if they don't have winning seasons, they're still followed by many, many people. Though they are successful, two of the most memorable blunders in NFL history, are you cheering now, um, are... From the Cowboys, <laughs> we, can have, we can have a lot of fun today. You might remember back in Super Bowl 27, January of 1993, Cowboys versus Bills. Late in the fourth quarter, the Bills turned the ball over, and right tackle Leon Lett picked up the ball, and he rumbled towards the end zone. And he started doing his dance a little too early. And one of the Bills players ran up behind him, and knocked the ball out of Lett's hand as he was dancing his way into the end zone and fumbled the ball. The ball rolled out of the end zone, and it was a touchback. The Cowboys still won the game, but it ranks among one of the most memorable blunders in all of NFL history. Now, if that wasn't enough, That same year, Leon Lett had another blunder. It was Thanksgiving Day of 1993, Dolphins versus Cowboys. A rare blizzard swept through Dallas. You couldn't even see the field. The Miami Dolphins were behind 14 to 13 with 15 seconds left on the clock. And they set up to kick a game-winning field goal. A Dallas player blocked the field goal. And the ball rolled towards the end zone. And all of the players were just standing around it. Nobody from the Dolphins touched it. If the Cowboys would have allowed the ball to go dead, they would have been able to sit on the clock and end the game and win the ball game. Out of the corner of the picture comes Leon Lett, and he dives on the football, thinking it's a live ball, and it squirts out from him, and the Dolphins recover, I think, on the one-yard line, 
and they ended up kicking the game-winning field goal with no time left on the clock. And although Leon Lett has accomplished a lot in his career, and even to this day, I believe, serving as a coach for the Cowboys, how often does he look in the mirror and remember those blunders? And how often does the media, ESPN, other people remind him of those two mistakes? In the Christian life, often we are our most are our worst critic. And we look in the mirror and we say, good morning, sinner, when we are called saints. And we allow all of the other good things that we're able to accomplish in our life and all of the blessings of God and the grace of God and what he's enabled us to do um, to be pushed to, uh, to the wayside because of some of the negative things that we remember. It happens in politics. If you think back to Richard Nixon's presidency, Watergate comes to mind, or Gary Hart, the candidate back in the, I think in the 80s, or sometimes pastors of large churches um, have accomplished wonderful things, and then there's a failure, and everything crumbles, and that's what they allow to define their life and their legacy. And I believe that as saints, as people called of God, recipients of God's grace, I believe that God desires for us to look at ourselves as saints. Yes, we sin, but that should not be the predominant narrative that uh, dictates how we live life and determines how we move forward. Once at my former church, some years ago, I baptized a teenage young lady. And a good while later, she came up as I was greeting folks after the worship service. And she said, Pastor Bob, I thought that after I got baptized that all, um, that all of my problems would go away. She was still struggling. And I tried to help talk to her and try to help her to understand that uh, though we are followers of Christ and we are baptized, we still sin and we still have struggles. And that we, that's why we need God's grace. Um, but I tried to encourage her not to allow that to define who she was. The Apostle Paul, could you imagine what he dealt with? Here's the person who wrote over half of the New Testament, but yet before he became a follower of Jesus, persecuted and killed Christians. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 7 and 9, Paul writes that we are treasures in jars of clay. Listen to these words. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-passing power, all-surpassing power, is from God and not from us. We are hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed, perplexed, perplexed, but not in despair, persecuted, but not abandoned, struck down, but not destroyed. We saints have this struggle between the flesh and the spirit. And James Bryan Smith in his book, The Good and Beautiful God, that we are using along with this series, illustrates with the example of a butterfly who is a new creation, like Paul writes of in 2 Corinthians 5.17. And he talks of a friend who is struggling with this. What is a new creation? What does it mean? And what difference does this make in, in my life? And Smith looked at him and said, well, do you know how a butterfly becomes a butterfly? The butterfly was once a caterpillar, a little worm. It could only crawl and could not fly. But it goes into a cocoon, a chrysalis, 
which, by the way, the root word appropriately is Christ. And it emerges a butterfly completely transformed. The old has passed. The new has arrived. It was once weighed down, says Smith, by gravity. Now it can fly. Christians were once weighed down by the weight of sin, but now through Christ we live in freedom. We can fly. But often we Christians don't define ourselves as butterflies who fly, rather that we are worms with wings. And there's something wrong with that narrative, and I believe that today's message is to help us to change that narrative. Yes, we have bodies that wear out. Yes, we have minds that still remember our past. Yes, we have habits that still from time to time come back. But we are in Christ. Never forget that. When we are in Christ, we are a new creation. All things have been made new. We've been given a new heart. We've been given a a, a new mind. We've been transformed by the power of the Holy Spirit. When we are in Christ. And so this is what I wanted to remind you and me of today. I imagine Paul dealt with his past. And even there were times when uh, people would confront him. And he was able to take his past and share his story. And allow people to see that he was a new creation. In Acts 26. I was too convinced that I ought to do all that was possible to oppose the name of Jesus of Nazareth. And that is just what I did in Jerusalem. On the authority of the chief priests, I put many of the Lord's people in prison. And when they were put to death, I cast my vote against them. Many a time I went from one synagogue to the other to have them punished. And I tried to force them to blaspheme. I was so obsessed with persecuting them that I even hunted them down in foreign cities. And I'm going to skip down a little bit to verse 15. Leading up, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me, says Christ. He has this vision on the road to Damascus to continue in his, his mission. It is hard for you to kick against the goads. Then I asked, who are you, Lord? I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting, the Lord replied. Now get up and stand on your feet. I have appeared to you to appoint you as a servant and as a witness of what you have seen of me. Paul was given a new narrative. We who are in Christ are new creations. We've been given a new narrative, a fresh start, a new way of seeing ourselves, a new way of seeing the world. We are butterflies bent to fly, no longer thinking of ourselves as caterpillars with wings, a new narrative. But we need help. If you're like me, you need help living this out day to day, week to week. So the question is, how can I embrace this new narrative as my narrative? How can I embrace God's story as my story? Four things. One, be transformed. Be transformed. Paul uses this word in Romans 12 too. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good and pleasing and perfect will. The word transformed is the word in the Greek metamorpho. Oh, it's where we get the word metamorphosis. 
It's to change into another form, just like a caterpillar changes into the form of a butterfly. We who are in Christ are transformed into the likeness of Christ. Yes, yes, we live in a broken earth, but we are called to see ourselves as people destined to fly. The second thing that can help us is the abiding work. Abide in Christ. Abide in Christ. To remain in Christ. To be attached to the vine. John 15, verse 4 and following. Jesus says, remain or abide in me and I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine, he says, and you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. There's a picture I want to show you of a tree by a river. One of our members and I had lunch last week and we were talking and he shared with me this picture that he had taken when he was on a trip. And I said, do you mind if I um, show that to the church Sunday? And he said, oh, sure. So he sent it to me. And it's this beautiful picture of a large tree planted right next to a river. And then in our conversation, he said to me, he says, Bob, it's God's work to produce the fruit. It's the tree's work to drink the water. It's God's work to produce the fruit in us who are his saints. It is our work to drink the living water. And we do that through reading in the word, through a daily prayer life, through regularly participating in corporate worship in small groups, through prayer and through serving. All of these things are the abiding work that we are called to do. And that will help us to embrace this new narrative of being in Christ. Similar to that, third is reside in community. You and I need to be yoked into a family of Christ, into the local church. Acts chapter 4. All the believers were one in heart and mind. No one claimed that any of their possessions was their own, but they shared everything they had. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And God's grace was so powerfully at work in them all that there were no needy persons among them. For from time to time, those who owned land or houses sold them, brought the money from the sales and put it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to anyone who had need. I can't tell you how important it is to be part of the local church, to be part of a class in the local church, whether it's Sunday school or a small group like a choir or a small Bible study group in the home or that meets elsewhere. Uh, this is where we are strengthened. This is where we're nurtured. This is where we're uplifted. This is where we can confess our sins to one another, as the book of James uh, tells us to do. Reside in community. This is where we know and are known, where we love and are loved, where we, are, where we serve and are served, where we celebrate and are celebrated as saints of the living God. And fourth, that we allow the light of Christ to shine through our brokenness. Because we are all broken people. We live in a broken world. To allow our life to shine. Paul gives us some words that help with that. 
2 Corinthians 12, 9 and 10. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, and in hardships, and persecutions, and in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Allow the light of Christ to shine through your and my brokenness. There's a wonderful picture of this that I read in James Ryan Smith's book of a campus minister who took a cardboard box and let his students beat it all up, poke holes in it, and, and then he said, I want it back. And he got the, the box back. It was all wrinkled and messed up. And then he set it down on a table, and he di- had the lights in the room dimmed. And then he had a light up underneath the uh, opening in the box, and he turned the light on, and you could see the light shining through all of the holes and all of the wrinkles. And it's just a reminder of how God works redemptively through us and how he desires for us to take claim of that new narrative that we are saints that we are defined by being in Christ, that we are new creatures, new creations, that we are not to be defined by sin or our past. And that is why Jesus, I believe, gives us this reminder of the bread and the cup, that we have a constant reminder of his grace and how he works redemptively through each of us when we allow him to. Jesus took the bread as he gathered with his disciples and he blessed it and he broke it, saying, this is my body given for you. As often as you meet, take, eat this do in remembrance of me. And Jesus, in the same way, took the cup and he blessed it and poured it out, saying, this is my blood, which is shed for you for the remission of your sins and the sins of many. As often as you meet together, drink it. This do in remembrance of me for as often as you drink of this, eat of this bread and drink of this cup, you proclaim the coming of the son of man. Today, our deacons will be serving you and we invite you to take of the Lord's table as they pass it and serve you. All that we ask is that you're a believer in Jesus Christ, that you've invited him into your heart to be your savior and Lord and that you're following him. It doesn't matter if you're a member of this church or another. What matters is that you believe in Jesus as your Savior and Lord. As our deacons serve, we invite you to partake.